the goal this morning is really to show and to, to talk about the need and the mission, all right? which is really the one and the same thing. The mission that we have been given is to make disciples. Where? Everywhere. Right? So, if you leave with one thing, I want you to see how big the mission is and the fact that on our own, just us going and doing, there is no way that we can accomplish the mission that we've been given. But I don't believe that Jesus gave us a mission to make disciples, that he also did not give us the resources and the tools to accomplish. Okay? The one thing is the mission. And hopefully with, a, um, with an example I have here in just a little while, hopefully we'll drive that home. And you'll leave here with a picture of the mission that we've been given and a way to accomplish the mission. I'm not going to sit here this morning and give you a ABC or a 1, 2, 3. Do these steps and you're going to be um, able to empower people. You're going to be able to accomplish the mission. That's not the issue. But we do need to talk about the mission that we've been given and a way to accomplish that. Hopefully, now I've never been accused of being short-winded, but hopefully this morning we'll also have some time for questions. So a little bit first about my background. So you get to know a little bit about me. The main thing is is right here. This is my family. Um, my wife Jessica next year will be 20 years. Um, we got married really, really young. Um, and then we have six daughters. This was taken every year at Thanksgiving. We take a family picture. This was last year. So people ask me, do you travel a lot? I travel a significant amount. And then say, well, why do you do that? And I just show them this picture, and typically people understand. (laughs) And I don't know if it's more for my benefit or if it's more for their benefit. Uh, But I have an awesome family, six daughters, ages 15, down to twins. The twins... um, uh, one is right between my wife and I and then, and then the one in the red shirt. Uh, they, they will turn eight at the beginning of next month. Um, so my family is, uh, I've been, it's been called Jamie's Sorority. Um, Hormone House is also a common one that our family uses. But uh, love my daughters. Fantastic family. Um, this is, I look forward to going back every time when I travel. Many of you know my dad, Steve. My mom, uh, fewer of you know. Those of you who know my dad are like, you know, I hear all the time, how's your dad doing? And you just have an amazing father. Well, some people then will ask how my mom's doing. But if you have ever met my mom, you know that my, once you meet my dad, you're like, oh, man, what a, what a great guy. You meet my mom, and then you stop worrying about my dad so much because she's a, the best mom a guy could ever ask for. And one of the proofs of that is she makes cookies. And that's how, that's my love language is cookies. Right, Ruth? Yeah. Um, so anyway, my dad, how many of you have met my dad or have heard him speak? Okay, a number of you. How many of you have no idea who Steve Saint is? 
awesome. That's even better. Because that is, you know, more of you don't know my dad, so it's easier to get up and, and talking to you. My dad started the organization called ITAC uh, about 16, 18 years ago. I guess almost 20 years ago. And uh, four and a half years ago, he had a uh, spinal cord injury that left him as an incomplete quadriplegic. How many of you were here two years ago when he spoke? That example, when he fell on the chair, perfect example. In fact, uh, two years ago when I spoke, I used that. I guess he was here three years ago. Three years ago, wow. Two years ago when I spoke, I used that little clip of the video as an example because what he had tried to do, he had been practicing it all day, how to fall. Now, he's an incomplete quadriplegic. He can walk, um, very little feeling in his, in his legs, very little feeling in his arms, no fine motor skills. But he had practiced falling onto this chair all day. And so when he actually did it, the, the greatest thing that, that could have happened took place. Three white guys from the audience, as soon as he fell, ran up on stage... And tried to help him up. I want you to think about that. Here you have somebody who is an incomplete quadriplegic who falls. And the immediate reaction is to go and help. To go and do something. And my dad said, no, no, no. Don't help me up. Don't do it. I think I can do it on my own. And it was painstaking. It took a little bit of time to do it. Because again... And this is now three years ago, even less feeling than he has now in his arms and his legs. He was laying on the ground, and he started rolling himself. And through a painstaking process, ended up sitting up. Then put his head on the chair and started working his way up. And eventually he was sitting in the chair. And these three guys were there the whole time trying to help him. He said, I think I can do it on my own. And eventually he stood back up. And that is the problem or a problem in missions today. We see a need, somebody who is less capable or people who are less capable of doing something than we are. And our immediate reaction, the immediate thing that we try to do is we try to go and do for them what ultimately they can do on their own, if given enough time, if given the, the um, time to just figure it out on their own. Even the help as they try to figure it out. Today, my dad can't do what he did back then. People around the world have been praying for my dad. And from the beginning, he has said this. He said, do not pray for my healing just pray that God will write this chapter also. He has spent the, the previous decade traveling around the world challenging people to let God write their story. Spinal cord injury. He said, I don't want to be healed. I just want God to write the chapter. How many of you have heard the story of the five missionaries back in 1956 who were speared to death by what were then known as the Alka. They're actually the Wawadani Indians. Uh, this is my grandfather, Nate, my grandmother, Marge. We called her Lita, which is um, semi-Spanish, Abuelita, um, little grandmother. And then my dad is the little boy 
um, standing in front of my grandmother. So I come from a heritage of missions. The people that speared my grandfather when he was 32 years old, and Jim Elliott, Roger Darien, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCauley, later um, actually adopted my dad. Minkai, the man who speared my grandfather, adopted my dad as his own son. Um, and I can't go through that whole story. But in 1994, after my great-aunt Rachel died, the Waurani people invited my family to go down and live with them, not as missionaries, but as family. And they understood something that we did not understand. They knew that when outsiders came in and did things for them, like fixing teeth or doing medical things to fix their skin or glasses or even transportation through the air, see, the, the Indians saw them very well. They really liked that. But what the wow knew is that all the foreigners could do is help the skin. They could only help the physical. And they also knew that what the Bible says is true, that nobody by watching how you live will ever come to know Christ. Did you know that? It doesn't matter how much like Christ you live, by watching how you live, the way you interact, the things that you say or don't say, nobody has ever gotten saved. Because hearing comes by faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. And so the tribe came to us, my family, and said, okay, you being part of our family, you come and teach us. Instead of the foreigners coming in, you teach us the things that the foreigners have been doing. They said, because... When we go and if we can help people with their teeth or their medical needs, we don't have to stop there. We can also tell them how God can fix their heart. And that makes a lot of sense when we talk about that. But how in the world do you go from taking skills that here take years and years and years and empower people living ultimately in the Stone Age? And I'm not going to give you the answer to that yet. All right. I want to do an example. I need a couple volunteers. Volunteers. Okay, come on up. How about a few more? What's your name? Matt. Matt, what's your name? Mira. Mira. And Joel, can I get you as well? Let's see. One more person. Steve, I know you want to come. All right. So what we're going to do here is this tape measure is going to represent the lost world, the people who are unreached at this point in time. How many people in the world today, roughly, give or take? Seven billion people. All right. How many, approximately, are unreached, have never heard about Jesus? Three billion people. Okay? These are estimates. So, this tape measure is going to represent the lost world. So, I need one of you to hold this. Very good. Now, I'm going to position you. I need each one of you to take a corner. Alright? And now I need one more volunteer. You are going to come up. What's your name? Okay. I, 
Yes. Let me see. Come on. You're going to be the runner. All right. Now, at each corner. All right, hon, you have to stand in this corner, okay? What I want you to do, you're going to hold this. You're going to do a great job, right? All right. Very good. Now, if you go like this with your other hand, little Vanna White, there we go. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to walk this around. And as it goes, just put your hand like this so so we can go around the room and it won't cut the corners. All right, start walking. Three billion people, all right, who currently today are unreached with the gospel. Uh, We're going to help here. I should now have another volunteer, right? You guys are doing a great job. This makes the task a little bit harder, right? And that's okay. How many missionaries in the world today? Full-time missionaries. Make a guess. Okay, 100,000. It's actually closer to 140,000. But how many of those are active? Because about a third or a quarter of them are typically on furlough at any given time. So let's just, again, use it. Keep going. Walk in front. Keep going. We're not done yet. I didn't tell you. You get to wind this up afterwards, too. Okay. So as we're going, I want you to get the picture here. Approximately 100,000 missionaries in the world today. How many of those are spending the majority of their time in reached countries or countries that are considered reached? Tell me a percentage. About 90%. Okay? About 90% of the missionaries in the world today are spending their time in countries that are considered to be reached. Which leaves approximately 10% in countries that are not reached for the 3 billion people. But let's take that 100,000. Now, on this scale, this is 300 feet, so 1 foot equals whatever 300 divided by, or 3 billion divided by 100 is, okay? 30 million people. Right? Is that about approximately right? My math may be off. 300 feet is 3 billion people. So on this scale, keep going. You're doing great. If it's worked out exactly right, that'll end up right here when we're done. And if not, you're going to have to walk and we're going to have to rotate around. So, on this scale, the 100,000 missionaries, where do we end up? How much... On this scale, where are we on the scale? Close enough. Let's end right here. Okay. Thank you. You guys can just set that down. Just set it down right where you are. There we go. All right? So on this scale, the 100,000 missionaries, where should we put the thing? To cut the corner here, I'm going to tell you, it's approximately one-eighth of an inch. Well, now let's say all of these missionaries are go-getters. And each one of these missionaries reaches 500 people, which would be great, right, for the sake of the gospel. Where are we on the scale? Somebody. 
You want me to just tell you? Okay. I know math early in the morning. We're right here. 100,000 missionaries reaching 500 people for the sake of the gospel. That's great, right? Until we look at the mission. The mission is around the room two times. And here's where we are. We're five feet. So what do we do? Let's do a little math this morning. Now this is easy, easy math. Okay? Because I'm going to do the math for you. (laughs) Now at 1.30, I have a session then, which is the same session. What's going to happen is they have to do the math. But now, now, drinking the Mountain Dew, you may be able to do this. Here's the deal. Let's take the 100,000 missionaries, and let's have each of them reach 60 indigenous Christ followers. Six zero. Okay? Each one of them re- reaches 60, and each of the indigenous Christ followers reaches 500. Guess where we are? Three billion people. Three billion people. Do you understand the mission? The mission is not five feet. The mission is three billion people two times around this room. Does this make sense to you? This is what I want you to leave with today. If nothing else... Realize that all of our best efforts, the way that missions has been done, this is how effective we are for the gospel. When we stand before Christ one day and we say, look at my five feet, He's going to say, I didn't give you five feet, I gave you 300 feet. That is the measuring stick. But if each one of those 100,000 would simply reach 60 disciple-making people, we weren't called to evangelize the world. We were called to make disciples. And evangelism is part of that discipleship process. But it's a multiplication process, not an addition process. If we would go, you see the need, you see it laid out on this tape. If we would go and do God's will, God's way, instead of God's will, our way, which ultimately means it's not God's will. If we would go and empower the church, that example is found in this book, The Great Omission, that my dad wrote. How many of you have read this book? Okay, keep those hands up. How many of you have read When Helping Hurts? Toxic Charity. Alright, for those of you who did not raise your hands and everything, you need to get this book. You have to. Alright, come by our booth, it's 10 bucks. If you don't have $10, talk to somebody at our booth, you may have this book free of charge if you agree to read it. If you have 10 bucks, give whoever's there 10 bucks. But if not, it is so important that for the people that come to one of my sessions, as long as we have them there, or you can get it online free, you pay shipping like 5 bucks, okay? It is so important that you read this book that it can be yours for free if you don't have ten bucks. 
And the, the great omission is the single greatest omission that the North American church has committed and tried to fulfill Christ's great commission, and that's leaving out the indigenous Christ followers. But then churches across the country said, okay, we understand that. Help us more. And we created a seven-part DVD that is not North Americans talking about missions. It's people from around the world. Oscar Murillo, Florence Mwindi. Um, Florence, how many of you know Dr. Florence? Wow, you guys got to get out. Um, super, super just powerful stories from people around the world telling North America how we've been doing emissions. Ouch. Seven-part DVD of people around the world telling us. That's also available. You need to get it. Now, how do we do this? The title is Partnering for Empowerment. You see the need. We have to partner together. But what we're going to talk about, there's really two different types of partnership. There's partnering with the indigenous church. And there's partnering with other like-minded organizations inside the U.S. or in, in the Western world to go and empower the indigenous church. Now, I want to give you a saying, and this is something that I have on my wall in my office. If we don't care who gets the credit, there's no limit to what we can accomplish. you understand that? If we don't care who gets the credit, there's no limit to what we can accomplish. Any problem with that? Let me help you understand. And you know these things. I'm just going to articulate them, hopefully, clearly for you. In the church, and we'll deal with the United States. In the church in the United States, we focus more on where we are different than on where we are the same. Yes? Two churches that agree on 95% of everything. Where do they spend the time? Talking about the 5% of difference. It could be a music thing. It could be a preacher. It could be communion. Well, they over there drink wine. We wouldn't do that because this is church. We drink grape juice. Right? Is that not... I mean, that's the deal. It's the seemingly insignificant things that divide us where the vast majority of everything unites us, or at least it should. Now, what I'm not saying this morning is there's, we should just agree with anybody who calls himself a Christian, which I don't like the term personally, because when you talk to somebody outside the United States, well, we are, I mean, we're Christians, right? Everybody in the United States is because we look a certain way or we're from the United States. You can be a Christian and not be following Christ, but you cannot be a Christ follower without actually following Christ. We can call ourselves a Christian, but the issue is, are you following Christ? Are you a Christ follower? So as we look, there are certainly hills to die on. There there have to be. But when we move past the death, burial, resurrection of Christ as the only way of salvation. 
Communion, ultimately, you know what? They do it every week. We do it once a quarter. More than once a quarter would just be a waste, right? The way they do it. These people, they get served. The other church, you have to go up front. Now, that seems silly, but that is, I mean, those are like denominational things. The hills to die on. One God, one Savior. These are things that unite us. There's one God. There's one Savior. There's one body. And there's one mission. If we would begin to work together as a team, now you may say, well, I work for a non-profit. And as a non-profit, I need to make sure that my donor base knows what we're doing and that this is all the things that we're doing. Fantastic. And if we were to partner with somebody else, and they got some of the credit for what we're doing together, well, maybe our donors might go over and... Okay. How many of you work for a nonprofit? Yeah, me too. Check this out. Where does your money your funding actually come from. If it comes from people, then you need to do your own thing. Okay? You need to take the credit. You need to make sure that your donors know everything that you're doing. And if you partner with somebody, take credit for what they're doing also. But if, and I know I step out on a limb here, if by any chance the people that write the check are just an avenue that the Lord uses to support your ministry, then you know what? If He is ultimately the one that's funding you, stop worrying about the credit. He will continue to fund you as long as you're doing His mission and He needs you. And when that funding, when He decides, you know what? I need you to do something else. Guess what? Go do something else. Let Him write the story. No, no, that sounds like, oh my gosh, that's almost blasphemy. That how in the world could we not think that, yeah, you know what, there are very very generous people out there. But if God is the one that's funding us, and He's just using people to write the checks of His money to your organization, then start partnering with other organizations and stop worrying so much about the credit. Does that make some sense? Now, empowering. As we talk about empowering, the task. When you start looking at the world around us, when you start looking at 3 billion people who are unreached today, and 90% of the missionaries who are in reached countries... The task is too big for any one person, organization, country to do by themselves. We must work together. Now, what does this look like? God has given you in this room talents, abilities, and skills that people in a lot of the other parts of the world don't have. So what we need to do is we need to go and we need to develop relationship. We need to 
to so deep of a relationship so that they can tell us no. We do a lot of vetting of, of uh, partners or potential partners because we need to make sure that the people that we're going to partner with are the right partners. They're doing the right thing in the right country. Well, their country. But they're doing the right thing. And so we'll go and we'll visit them. And we were going to go, my uncle and I were going to go down to Madagascar and then Liberia. And we were going to do this at the end of September. And I emailed because we had been requested to go on some trips uh, from ministries there. And I emailed the folks in uh, Madagascar and I just said, hey, uh, would the end of September, these dates, because that worked out really well on our calendar. And the head of that ministry emailed me back. He said, actually, that doesn't work because at that time, all of our church planners are out in the communities where they're planning churches. So the end of, the end of October would work much better. And I said, oh, man, this is going to be a good partner. Because normally, in missions, we call somebody up and we say, hey, we want to bring a team at this time. Do you have something for us to do? Right? I mean, that is the traditional missions thing. For this guy in Madagascar to be able to say right up front, you know what, that really doesn't work for us. To me, that was awesome. I was all giddy about it, right? And we went there, and we're going to be going back in April to do a training trip. It was fantastic. Um, I do have a couple of videos, but here's the empowering. We have a baton. See, missions should not be an endurance race. It's a relay race. We're not calling, God isn't calling us out there to run a marathon. He's calling us to run one lap and hand off the baton. And then go run another lap and hand off a baton. And then go run another lap and hand off a baton. Now what do we need? We first need trainers who are willing to let go of the baton. Because if we're not willing to let go and let God help them, now we need to do our due diligence and do an excellent job of training. But then we hand them the baton and let them run. So the first thing, we need to be willing to let go. The second thing, we need to have indigenous Christ followers who are willing to take the baton and run with it. It's a big deal when you take a dentist to another country and, and where they have heard that in a week they're going to learn how to extract teeth safely. Both in what they can do and also things that they cannot do. And in this room we have at least two... How many dentists in the room? I know Tim and John. Dentists, okay. Tim and John, will you stand up? Just for a moment. Okay. These are two dentists. Tim is the president of Empower. John is the semi-president. No, John works with iTech. All right, you guys can have a seat. So, one, trainers who are willing to hand off the baton. Trainees who are willing to accept the baton and run with it. 
it has to be self-sustaining. We can't create dependency. Because if we're allowing them to run, but we're funding it, then who's really doing the work? We are. They are capable, and it's been proven around the world. You talk to these guys. Come talk to me. We've seen it over and over and over again. We hand off the baton. They run with it, and it becomes self-sustaining. They charge their patients a little bit to cover at least the disposable goods that they use. Normally, it's somewhere between a dollar and two dollars that covers all the disposable goods. And sometimes it's even less than that. It does require trainers to hand off, trainees to take the baton. It requires the right tools and the training so that they can do that and do it with excellence because when they're going, it's not about just helping people with their felt needs. That is a door opener to the gospel. The physical is an amazing door to the spiritual. When somebody has a hurt and they don't know Christ, religion goes out the window. The imam, who has a hurting tooth, an abscessed tooth, comes and sits in the dental chair of the Christ follower, of the pastor, is prayed over in the name of Jesus because he has a hurting tooth. And the next morning, as Charlie Vitito said uh, yesterday, the next morning, when they wake up and they no longer have tooth pain, there's only one place they can get the credit, and that's Jesus. You can't deny that. I can deny when you say you have pain, and Jesus took it away. But when I have pain, and somebody who takes that pain away says, Jesus is the one responsible, I can't deny that anymore. Because I know the reality of pain. The last thing that this requires, this empowerment requires, is the right perspective. This is not a short-term issue. It's long-term. It's long-term perspective that's required. Brian Fickert, um, what, three or four, I think three years ago, um, spoke here. We did a few interviews with Brian. And, uh, and then put my dad and Brian in the same room. And you can just tell they were speaking the same language. Brian Fickert was the co-author of When Helping Hurts. Well, as Brian was doing his interview, the questions, he answered one. He said, look, he said, doing an empowerment strategy is more expensive and takes more time than going in on a short-term mission, painting a building, building a building, building a foundation for a building, doing something, than going and training them to do. It's longer term, it's more expensive, but who's funding it? Jesus is funding it, right? The Lord... Last time I checked, he's not limited. He's not. If you're doing his will his way, let him fund it. And he'll be faithful to do that. I have a video that I'd like to show you. This is, um, how many of you know Francis or Pamela Bucacci and Hope Alive Initiatives? Okay, a few people. Um, Francis uh, was with Life in Abundance, Florence Moody's ministry, and then went as a missionary to Ghana. 
He's Kenyan. You'll see him around. I know he has a... Did he already do a session? 2.45 p.m. See, there's the plug. Tim Williams has one at 1.30. Okay? Um, so you're already in my session. I have one at 1.30. So we're going to... I guess they're trying to have us hit the same chord with many more people. All right. We went with Ghana, went to Ghana. This was not iTech going. I want to read the organizations that partner together. And there's a few more than what I wrote down here. But I want you to listen to this. And then you're going to see it live. It was iTech, Hope Alive Initiatives, Southeast Christian Church, Kids Around the World, Leadership Development Group, Back to the Bible, Renew World Outreach. All right? And there were a couple more that were more silent in the process. All of these organizations went in to provide training to Christ followers in northern northern Ghana in the region of Tamale. And people came from, I think, three or four different regions. Francis had asked us to come in and teach iFix, which is a mechanical training, how to fix and repair, in this case, motorcycles. And also how to do iFilm, which is storytelling. If you travel anywhere in the world, one of the things that I see all the time is that everybody has a cell phone. I was in the, uh, the very remote area of Brazil, out in a little village, and there's no Wi-Fi, there's no um, Internet except for in certain locations. There was only one place in the whole village where I found even the smallest cell phone signal. But if there was a photo opportunity, do you know what everybody did? They pulled out their cell phone. And this would be like a small one there. Everybody had these big old... I'm like, what in the world? Here's the deal. If we can teach Christ followers in an area to tell God-honoring and Christ-centered stories about how God has changed the lives of people in their own community through their, uh, through their own eyes, and then they can get that on their cell phone, guess what they'll do? They'll watch it. And when they can go and talk to that person, they understand the language, they understand the culture, they're, they're right there in their own community. You know what it does? They can't deny the reality of the situation. Much more effective than you or I going to language school for a couple of years, then going and spending a couple of years raising our support, and then going. And there are places where that is still necessary. All right? I'm not here saying anything is out of bounds or not. Though if you go paint a building, let's talk, okay? If you have a trip coming up to paint a building, let's please come see me at our booth. It's upstairs. Um, really, let's, let's do God's will, God's way. This is the story, and I have to... I'm going to put this microphone up to my computer so you can actually hear the story. All right? This is Ghana. Africa in Nairobi, Kenya, Francis asked us if we would bring high film 
and unfit to train pastors and church leaders here in Tuffley how to use those to show the love of Christ in their communities by telling stories and fixing motorcycles. That was just one example of ministries coming together, not worrying about who's going to get the credit, but simply coming to empower an indigenous church right where they are so that they can have a greater impact in their own communities for the sake of the gospel. Now, what I don't want you to come away from this session with a feeling that ITEC has all the answers. We don't. We don't have all the answers. In fact, a lot of times it seems like we have more questions than answers. But we have partnered with groups, and I'm going to read the list just so you can get an understanding. And most of these organizations have exhibits here. Uh, 
Hope Alive initiatives, fame. Fame is in the downstairs, um, in the main center, Empower, two, two booths down from where we are. Uh, Teach to Transform, also down on the left-hand side. Um, Life in Abundance, which I believe is in the uh, block. Southeast Christian Church, you're here. Uh, Renew World Outreach, and you know what? there's others besides them. Partnering together for the sake of the gospel. Not worrying about who's going to get the credit, but coming together. You've heard the, there's no I in team. We are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. The body, on a, one hand can't say to the other hand, I don't need you. Right? And the, the one that oftentimes gets left out, at least for me, is the elbow. How many times have you been thankful for an elbow? Never. But you, just think about this sometime. How little can your hands do without that elbow? They can't. They can't do anything. A buddy of mine broke this collarbone and this elbow in a bike riding accident at the same time. Just imagine that for a moment. This arm is incapacitated. This arm is incapacitated. Just think about life and trying to make it through without those. We were invited to, um, with a few other organizations, to go to Greece. Um, and this is, I went to do a site visit in, uh, at the end of June, beginning of July. And then we went back. And, you know, one of the things that you can always expect on any trip where you're going to empower is that the trip will not turn out like you expect. That's the one thing you can expect, right? Like Dave Ramsey says in Financial Peace, expect the unexpected. And then it's not so unexpected because you're expecting it, right? And that's one of the things with missions as well. So we have a, we have a saying that for any of our trips, it's Semper Gumby. Semper Gumby, always flexible. Now, many of you are like, Gumby, what? Is that some Latin term? No. Just do a little Google search on Gumby. You'll get the little uh, bendable guy. Now, I want to share this video with you, and then I'll open it up. We have, we'll have a few more minutes for questions, all right? This is uh, Greece, training refugees in Greece to meet the needs of other refugees who are also in Greece. Dramatically, as they have taken in refugees. 
were invited to train in our IDENT, our IC, and our IFILM curriculum. We train both Greek nationals as well as refugees who have come to Christ. One of the men on our trip is a former refugee by the name of Ahmed. Ahmed has a powerful story about how God brought him from a professional job in Iran where he fled to Greece. And through that experience and through the people that he met, he came to know the Lord. Because of some political problems, I had to escape from my country to uh, the Turkey. And uh, when I arrived at the Turkey, I feel that I'm not safe here in that country. Again, I tried to leave this country to another country. And uh, it was so difficult. I had so uh, bad uh, situation in doing the, my traveling. And uh, finally from the south of the Turkey by a small boat with many refugees, I arrived to one of the islands of the Greece. And after I uh, got a ticket from the island, I came to the Athens. When I was at Athens, the police, they arrested me and they took me uh, to the one village near the border of the uh, Macedonia and they uh, kept me in the underground of the one police station. It was so small and it was so dirty. Uh, maybe 50 people all together uh, we were there and it was so uh, bad situation for me. Uh, after six months, uh, one man, he came and asked the police who knows English and the police asked us the refugees who knows English and because uh, I little knew about the English, I said that I know and the, that man asked the police if there is a possibility for that refugee. I want to speak with him for 10, 20 minutes. And that man uh, asked me about my uh, background, about my uh, nationality or something like that. And he asked me about the situation, the uh, prison. I, I explained for him something. And after that, uh, he knew that uh, I don't have any entertainment, uh, any hobby for at the camp. And he said to me, if you want, I can give you uh, the one book as a gift and you can read it. That book was the Bible. Before in Iran, uh, I hadn't seen the Bible, just I heard about that and I didn't read about it. And uh, because I didn't have anything to do in the camp, I start from the first pages of the Bible and when I start to read from the Genesis, from the first page, and I slowly, slowly found many things on, through the book. And after I came out from the prison, it was a big miracle in my life. When I came out in the Athens, uh, one man from the Iranian church, he gave me the key of the church and he said to me, if you want, you can uh, stay here and we can work with us. And again, during the, when I was at the church, again, uh, I read it more and more and more. After I worked for two or three weeks at the church and 
Uh, I started to ask many questions about the gospel, about the Bible, from the pastor or the other believer. And slowly, slowly, I, I said that uh, I'm so eager to know more about the Bible. And uh, I remember that after one month, they uh, baptized me there. And uh, before the baptized, I didn't know about the born again. But after they baptized me, uh, I knew about the born again. And after the born again, really my life uh, became changed. The other day on Lesbos, we went to the place where they dumped all the life jackets. But as we got closer, I went right down to the pile. Each and every life jacket was unique. We saw them not as a pile, but as many individuals. As we evaluate and as we hear things about the refugee crisis, we need to remember it's not just a group. Each one of these is an individual that Christ died for, that God loves, and that we need to love. You know, as we look at the world around us, the need is huge. The need is huge. We cannot sit by and just do the same things that we've been doing. There's a definition, um, and you guys probably know the term, if you continue to do the same thing expecting a different result, what is that? Insanity. Right? Christ has given us a mission. I want you to think as I, as I end this talk and open it up for a few questions. What would it look like if we started working together as a team to empower in the indigenous church to reach the world for the gospel and started caring a whole lot less about the credit that we might get from it? I told you that I wanted you to, if nothing else, this is what we can do on our own. This is kind of the maximum that we can do on our own. This is not the mission. 300 feet, 3 billion people. That's the mission. And we can accomplish it if we do God's will, God's way. If we partner together not caring who gets the credit, to empower the indigenous church around the world, then we will accomplish that mission. Questions, comments? Hopefully a few things to think about. Yes? Um, does your training include discipleship training for the churches? Does our training include discipleship training? No, it does not. And here's why. When we partner with somebody, we are partnering with mature Christ followers. There are first wave organizations that go in, like LIA, Hope Alive Initiatives. We call them first wave. They're going in, doing community development, working, developing leaders within the church, doing the discipleship, so that then when we come in second wave, when they invite us in, they already know the right people. 
they're already, they're typically pastors, church planners, church leaders who understand the mission to share the gospel and make disciples. But a lot of people just don't care about what they know because they haven't realized yet that they care. Good question. Yeah. What we do is we do short-term trips. Um, let me just use dentistry for an example. We'll go in, and training normally starts on a Monday. So we do Monday and Tuesday are classroom training days. They learn everything from technique, anatomy of the teeth. It's very basic compared to what you might learn. And we, we boil it down to the basics. They also learn sterilization and everything they need to know so that they can go. And day three... Through day six, they're working on real patients. Now, the dentists are working very hands-on, very closely on day three, the first day of clinics. Over the course of the week, typically by day three of the clinics, so overall day five, the dentists have taken a huge step back. And the final day of the clinics, the dentists do not go until the clinic has already started. So the students, the trainees, they start the clinic by themselves. We don't, we don't, I answer any questions. They have to rely on each other. And then we leave before the clinic is over. They also have to close down the clinic. So we don't do anything on that last day. So they realize by relying on upon each other, they can do it themselves and us watching them. And it's amazing. I mean, ask these guys. It's amazing. By day six, it's just, um, I mean, amazing. They're doing it. They're very in the... In the Congo last year, by day six, the six or seven students, I think we had seven, we certified six, because you have to show proficiency. The lowest number of teeth that any one of the students had extracted was 60. Um, The highest was like 170 in four days. And one half of one of the days, he had to run the sterilization table. So we're talking really in just... Um, three days of clinic, three and a half days, um, and overall they had extracted 618 teeth. They spent, but before we got there, they had 470 patients who had already signed up and paid. So they worked together for the next week, and by the end of the, the second week, we were already gone. They had extracted over 1,700 teeth. And they continue, we get reports from them, they're continuing to do it, and our plan is to go back in February to teach um, to teach restorative using amalgam. And, yeah. So you have the dental piece. Um, what are the other specialties that Well, between ITEC and the other organizations, there's uh, dentistry, medical, um, site enhancement, uh, mechanical, film, sewing, farming, hair cutting. Oh, there's Tom with Teach to Transform. I mentioned uh, Teach to Transform earlier. Did you sneak in? Okay. All right. So their booth is downstairs on the left-hand side. So there's, those are the, the main ones that we're teaching right now. Um, you know, when we see a need, what we try to do is we try to go and see if somebody else is meeting that need. Uh, Florence Wendy with Life in Abundance had come. She said, what we really need is we need lights. Because a lot of the places where we're doing these things, they don't have electricity. So stop by our booth. You'll see the battery packs and whatnot. But we have a light now. It's a kinetic generator. 
So you just put weight in the in the basket and it lowers. That charges a light, not using batteries, but an ultra capacitor, which has 50,000 cycles of charge discharge or greater, which if you start thinking about that, even if you do that two times a night, you have something like 100 years that that's going to last. So we're looking at things. If somebody else doesn't have it, then, then we try to. We have an engineering staff that will try to design it. If somebody else had, already has it, then we try to partner with them. Why reinvent the wheel? Yes. I guess you have to provide instruments for the dentist, and mm-hmm. you have to take packs in and, and just That's right. Those, I guess. That's right. There is always capital investment, but not ongoing investment. Okay. So we want we have people who come alongside our different ministries who help to fund the instruments, the tools that are necessary. We go in, but we, it's also a partnership on that end. We, we ask our partners, our indigenous partners, what can you do? Can you provide lodging for us? Can you help provide some of the food for us? Can you provide trans? We don't want to cause them undue harm. At the same, we don't, we don't want them to try to go beyond what they're actually capable. At the same time, we don't just come in and just say, here you go. So we find out what their capacity is and ask them to, to give of their capacity. And we also give, that's the partnership, an interdependent partnership. And then we leave the, the tools um, for those students who have been certified, who have shown proficiency, so that they can t- continue the work. But they have to charge something so that they can resupply the disposable goods. Yes. Yeah, what we do, and it, you know what, we, we've been wrestling with the medical. We've developed about 10 or 12 modules in medical. And dentistry is very focused. It's right here. Medical is so broad. And what we're kind of trying to do right now is very similar to Teach to Transform. We're going to try to teach the basics on the first trip, just the basics of triage and we look at each community as different. The needs, the, the most common problems in a community is going to be different no matter where we go. So we try to address those problems. And then, like, Teach to Transform has helping babies breathe. You know, going in and doing something that is, like, on a second or third trip, even suturing, you know, wound care and suturing, there are things that, that they can learn to do and become very proficient at if I have a wound and it's four days to get to the closest clinic where they can suture that, you know what? After it's clean, I need to suture that. If it's not the most perfect <clears throat> straight line, you know, who cares? The issue is they now can, and you're looking for infection and all those things. <coughs> Any other questions? We're kind of right out of our time already. Do me a favor. Walk away with this. Walk away with this in your head. How can we meet this need? The mission that Christ has given us is 3 billion people. And then ask, what if it were possible to equip indigenous Christ followers? Then you come talk to ITEC, Teach to Transform, um, 
empower, life in abundance, hope alive, fame. Come talk to us and let us walk you through. We've done this around the world, um, these organizations. I mean, you start listing the countries. I know our tools are in over 60 countries around the world today. It just works. These guys can attest to it. Um, so let's do God's will, God's way. Again, stop by. We have uh, the missions dilemma. And again, with the great omission, if you don't have $10, you come by and just say, look, I'm going to read it. Jamie said I could have one free. Um, take one, all right? Thanks. Have a great day.